One of those statements that the Lord makes in his word is that those who honor him, he will likewise honor. So before I turn us to the scripture this morning, I just want to pause for a moment and um, acknowledge before you and uh, um, for your appreciation that there is one present who was also recently retired from the ministry, from the active ministry of the role of senior pastor. Uh, some of you may have seen in the paper a week ago Saturday uh, a tribute to Dr. Steve Euler, who taught for many years at Tennessee Temple and then more than 30 years ago became the pastor at Grace Baptist Church and the uh, founder of uh, the Grace Christian School. Uh, he is a dear brother in the Lord and a faithful servant of our Lord. And Steve, I know this is the last thing that you would ask for, but would you please stand and let us acknowledge you. Thank you. Please um, open your Bibles to Philippians, uh, the book of Philippians chapter 1 and uh, verse uh, 27, page 980 in the Pew Bibles, 980 in the Pew Bibles. Uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, I'm going to read a rather lengthy passage here, so please stay with me. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, Paul writes, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents." This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count, your, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, now by the work of the Holy Spirit who inspired the apostle as he wrote, now enlighten our minds and our hearts. Make us hear what you now say. Make us receptive to your truth. Um, Father, what we do here, may it be honoring to you, may it be for our edification, and for those here this morning that know you not as Savior and Lord, may this be for them a day of salvation. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. For everything there is a season. And now that April has begun, Another season of Cardinal Baseball. Braves Baseball as well. And even Cubs Baseball. So, if that's called baseball. So. <laughs> Once upon a time, I played baseball. Those days ended 46 years ago. Then for some 30 years, I enjoyed playing church softball, and that ended one evening when I, could, I just found myself unable to catch even a simple pop-up, and it was so embarrassing, I put away my glove never to take it up again. I've been preaching for 46 years. Ever since our first year in seminary when I preached on a regular basis to a small congregation in Oakdale, Illinois, our first church was on the island of Grand Cayman. Then for seven years, we served in Sparta, Illinois. We spent three delightful years in Simpsonville, South Carolina, absolutely de delightful, despite the fact that we attempted without much earthly success to plant a new church. 1983, we received a, a call to East Ridge Presbyterian Church and moved to Chattanooga and when the session at East Ridge prayerfully decided to try to plant a new church in East Brainerd, I was asked to be the organizing pastor despite my track record. Some of you were uh, charter members of Covenant Presbyterian Church. Some of you were even there 27 years ago. You attended the first worship service at Westview Elementary School, which was held this day, 27 years ago, the Sunday after Easter, 27 years ago. And now, a new season is about to begin for Linda and me, as well as for you, the people of Covenant Presbyterian Church. In addressing this issue of a new season, I want us first to look at the verses we've read from Philippians chapters 1 and 2. You can use the insert that I gave you where I tried to organize some of Paul's clauses 
perhaps to show you how they relate a little bit better one to the other, or use your Bibles, but follow along here. It was around the year 60 AD when Paul wrote this letter to the church at Philippi, a church which he had planted during his second missionary journey. And I think that for many, I've heard this from many, for for many readers of Scripture, Philippians is their favorite Pauline epistle because of its repeated themes of joy and thanksgiving. And I must say, it's not in the outline, the the insert that I gave you, but just listen what Paul writes in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. I say to you this morning, I thank my God in all my remembrances of you. Always, in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Things in Philippi for the believers, they weren't perfect. They never are. The church there in Philippi is troubled by some internal tensions, not quite as much as some of the other churches to which Paul writes. But far more disturbing and frightening are those opposing the gospel, who Paul mentions in chapter 1, verse 28, and, and then in chapter 3, verse 18, Paul describes these opponents as enemies of the cross of Christ. So here is Paul. He is imprisoned in Rome, probably writes in the setting of Acts chapter 28. Imprisoned in Rome, he doesn't know if he might at any moment be sentenced to death, and he writes this epistle to encourage the saints at Philippi. Now, look at chapter 1, verse 27. Paul exhorts them. He says, let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What is the gospel of Christ? Well, what is this gospel of Christ of which we are to to live worthy? Paul tells us, skip ahead to chapter chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, because there Paul provides for us this glorious summary of the gospel. I mean, just absolutely one of the most glorious passages in all of Scripture. This glorious summary of the gospel of Christ, which, which the believers at Philippi believe and, and know to be true, and likewise I am confident that this is what many of you know and believe with all of your heart and with all of your mind. They know, and, and by God's grace, you know, that Jesus is the Christ Greek word Christ, Hebrew word Messiah. Jesus is the Christ, meaning that he is the long-promised Messiah, the long-promised anointed one, the long-promised descendant of Abraham, the long-promised son of David, that he is the king, the promised king who has come to deliver his people from their enemies, from the curse and the power of sin. Paul writes, and here we have this profound Mystery, these profound theological truths that just challenge us to try to get our arms around these things. Paul tells us that Jesus Christ, though in the form of God, which in the Greek means in very essence God, the very reality of God, that he did not 
count equality with God something to be grasped. That is something to be held on tightly for his own advantage. But instead, he, he willingly, he willingly emptied himself of his visible glory. He took the form of a, of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. He was found in human form. He was in the form of God. He was precisely God. And he became fully man. Jesus. Fully God. Fully man. Is mystery all. It's what the scriptures teach. Without any, without any doubt whatsoever. Fully God, fully man, not just a man, a servant, a lowly servant. God the Son became the Son of Man. And in doing so, Paul says, humbled himself. He became obedient to the Father's salvific purposes. And he died the cursed death of crucifixion. As Paul will teach in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, God the Son became the Son of God, so that being sinless, he might take upon himself the sins of his people, the sins of all who by grace through faith embrace Him as Savior, Lord, and King, so that He might declare you sinless, perfectly righteous in God's sight. Not because of who you are, not because of what you have done, but because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And having done so, Paul tells us in chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, that God the Father highly exalted him and then bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus, the Christ, is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's an incredibly important passage. It's incredibly important because... 700 years earlier, 700 years earlier, in Isaiah chapter 45, in Isaiah chapter 45, 23, the great I am, Yahweh, the revealed Lord of the Old Testament Scriptures, He spoke exactly these same words. He spoke of that day when before Him every knee would bow, when before Him every tongue would confess. And what was true, therefore, you see, of the great I Am is now true of Jesus. Because, though fully God, He is fully the great I Am. Now, Keeping all that in mind, this, the gospel of Christ, keeping all of that in mind, hear again what Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 27. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. I mean, what does such a life look like? 
what does a life look like that has lived worthy of the gospel of Christ? Paul goes on and he writes, whether I'm with you or not, let me hear that you are, and now we begin to get this description of this life that is lived worthy of the gospel of Christ. He says, let me hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. And then, stunningly, Paul writes in verse 29, He writes, knowing the reality of their circumstances, he writes, and understand that it is your privilege to not only believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for his sake. Life is full of challenges. We all know that. I mean, we struggle... We struggle with the consequences of our own sins. We struggle with the consequences of being sinned against. We, we struggle with the consequences of living in a sin-scarred world. But I must say to you, it may well be that in the coming years of the history of this church and the history of Grace Baptist, the history of all evangelical churches in this community and throughout the world, It may well be as citizens of God's kingdom, as those whose first obedience is to the King of kings and Lord of lords, it may well be that we will begin to face opponents who will become more vociferous and active in their opposition to our Lord and His unchanging truth, and therefore to you, whose love for the Lord and His Word will leave you branded by this world as being narrow-minded and and bigoted and, and hateful. There is nothing new under the sun. That was precisely the situation faced by the believers at Philippi. Precisely. Philippi was a Roman colony. The people of Philippi were Roman citizens by birth. Roman citizens were required to acknowledge the deity of the emperor, his absolute rule over them. And the day would come, if it hadn't already come, when it would cost the saints at Philippi dearly to refuse publicly to acknowledge the emperor as God. The tyrant who demands our obeisance is the 51% majority. That's the tyrant who towers over us. And in coming days, as we find ourselves more and more unable to fall in step with our culture, we may well find ourselves afflicted in various ways because of our unwillingness to conform to the tyranny of this age. I take no delight in telling you that, but I would be less than a faithful shepherd if I didn't. If and when that day comes, 
Only those deeply in love with Jesus and fully persuaded of His truth will stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by their opponents. And therefore, even now, you need to ask yourselves, you need to ask yourself, am I truly committed to Jesus Christ? Am I truly committed to the absolute truth of His Word? Am I truly committed to living my life by the strength that He supplies as an image bearer of Him, of my Lord, of my King? Now look at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul begins to ask a series of rhetorical questions to which the assumed answer is yes. It's not always that clear to us in English, but that's what's going on here in the Greek. And Paul writes, therefore, if you'll allow me to paraphrase, if, and you know these things are true, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from the love of the Father, any participation in the Spirit, if, as there always is among believers, any affection or sympathy for one another. Now think about this. Of all the things that Paul could write, this is what he writes. Then make my joy complete. What would it take to make your joy complete? I mean, Paul's in prison and he may at any moment be sentenced to death. Think of all the things that he could write down to make my joy complete. He writes, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, of the same love, of one accord, of one mind. And what is this singular mind demonstrated by by love. What is the singular accord, this, this singular way of thinking that is to dominate, dominate the followers of Christ? It is for them to have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. The mind of Christ, who we're told in verses 5 through 9, this was the mind of Christ. He willingly set aside many of the privileges that were his as God. He willingly humbled himself. He willingly became a man. He willingly did the Father's bidding, even to the point of dying the horrific death of crucifixion, which the Old Testament description describes as being under the curse of God. Cursed is everyone who is hung upon a tree. Jesus did that, why? To glorify His Father and to serve you. He did that for you. Look at verses 3 and 4. Paul writes, therefore, in anticipation of what will follow, having this mind of Christ. This is what it means to, be, to live worthy of the gospel of Christ. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Instead, with humility, count yourselves more significant than others. 
You still awake? With humility, I got to go back and make sure I read that right. With humility, count others more significant than yourselves. It's what it means to live worthy, a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let each of you look not only to his or her own interest, but also to the interest of others. That's the mind of Christ. So in your church, in this church, in your homes, is this true of you who already named the name of Jesus? Are you ready, willing, and eager to honor your king by serving one another in love? Or are you just more concerned about whether others are giving you the respect you believe you deserve? About whether others are meeting your needs? I mean, truly, my friends, obviously, my friends, the life to which we are called is radically out of step with our self-centered, self-serving culture. So let me ask two horrible questions. Two horrible questions. What if Jesus had, had grasped, had held on tightly to what was truly and rightfully his, the glory and the honor and the privilege of being God the Son? What if he hadn't humbled himself so that he might show us what it means to lay down your life willingly in submission to the Father's will and out of love for others? This is what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. It means to count others more significant than yourselves. It means for each of you to, to not only look after his, his or her own interests, but also the interest of others. It means to have in you the mind of Christ. Now look at verses 12 and 13. Paul is proud of the Philippians. Paul is proud how the Philippians have demonstrated love for their Lord and by their love for one another. He's proud of them. And I must say, I'm likewise proud of you. I am proud of you. Before the Lord, of you I will boast. In 27 years, I've known few occasions when most of you have not failed to show and demonstrate your love for the Lord by your love for one another. Few occasions. I will boast about you, and I want you to know I've boasted about you. When I'm with other pastors, sometimes they begin to share horror stories about their congregations. I've never had a horror story to share. I, I, I've never had a horror story. Have we had our struggles? Have we had our trials? Have we had our times of testing? Well, of course, that's part of living life in this world. But I've had no horror stories to tell. 
Not about you. So I will say it again. Of you before the Lord, I will boast. Have boasted. Will continue to boast. But now I also say to you, as Paul writes at the end of verse 12, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Doesn't mean you're saved by doing good works. It means if you're saved, you're serious about all this. The man who is genuinely, the woman who has genuinely embraced Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, they're awed by the reality of who God is and of what he has done on their behalf. Living a life worthy of the, of the gospel of Christ is, is not for them a second thought. It is a dominating emotion awed by knowing the holiness and greatness of God, therefore continue with all seriousness to strive to be the people that he would have you to be. Some of which we've already talked about in these previous verses here in Philippians 1 and 2. And now, and now never, you know, the chapter divisions, the verse divisions of Scripture, those are all things given to us later in church history, and they've been of great benefit to us. But sometimes they just get in the way. Because if you read verse 12 and you don't read verse 13, you are one frustrated individual. As Paul says in verse 12, you know, these words that just sort of make us go, wow, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, knowing. But the grace that saves is the grace that enables knowing that God is at work within you so that you can, so that you can both will and do what pleases Him. So now look at verses 14 through 16. Do all things all that Christ calls you to do. Do them without grumbling. Do them without disputing. Do all things, the things that Christ calls you to do. That's the all things of which Paul is speaking. Those things which Christ calls you to do. Do them without grumbling or disputing. Make this your goal. Make this your goal. The Apostle Paul writes, and he dares to write this because of what he wrote in verse 13. God is at work within you so that you can both will and do his good pleasure. So now he dares to write, make this your goal to live blamelessly, innocent of all wrong words and attitudes and behaviors, to live as children of God, unblemished by sin. We don't believe that anybody achieves sinlessness in this world but that ought to be the constant goal that you've set before you. A goal after which you strive knowing that God is at work within you so that you can, will, and do His good pleasure. And when you fail, that you have a merciful and gracious God to whom you can turn, confess, repent. He wipes the slate clean. You begin anew. But there's that goal that is constantly before you. And he says, live this way, blamelessly, innocent of all wrong words, attitudes, and behaviors. Live as children of God, unblemished by sin. Live that way in the midst. Ah, there's nothing new under the sun. 
Live that way, Paul writes, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. I mean, I wouldn't dare ask all of you to raise your hands who are frustrated with how twisted and crooked our generation has become. I know, I know. So did the Philippians. Quit your pity party. There's nothing new under the sun. It's been this way. Since the garden. This has been the reality. Live this way. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation so that against the backdrop of sin's darkness you might shine as lights in this world. How? By holding fast to the word of life. By holding fast to the Lord who has graciously enlightened your minds and your hearts to the truth of the gospel so that you have embraced that truth, so that you know that these things are true. And now with Paul, I conclude my first objective this morning. The second objective will be twice the length of the first. (laughs) Calm down. That wasn't true. Now with Paul, I, I conclude my first objective this morning. I plead with you to so live that in the day of Christ... I may continue to boast of what the Lord has done in and through you. Linda and I love you. 27 years, most of you most of the time, and I mean the overwhelming majority of you, the overwhelming majority of the time, have greatly encouraged us with your love. Now continue to let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now this is my second objective. My second objective is to very briefly, briefly, aren't you glad to hear that word? My second objective, of course, you know, when you start reading points on a page, who knows how long they might take, but my objective is to be brief. It is to briefly share with you the decision reached by both me and the session a couple of weeks ago. Now, as you listen to what I'm about to read, remember two things. Remember that we've been anticipating this day since the annual congregational meeting in December of 2013, almost a year and a half ago. None of this is new news. And please understand that for, the most, for most of what I'm about to read, I'm the author. I wrote this motion. Please hear that. Please understand that. Oh, you know, the session they had to edit it here and there. You know, they had to change a few words and a few lines. And I think now at least a tenth of this is still mine. But... Um, no, most of this is still mine. Most of this is still mine. And it all goes back to what we've known for a year and a half. It was moved, seconded, and carried 
granting Pastor Keynes a six-month sabbatical post-dated to March the 1st, 2015. During these six months, Pastor Keynes will not have senior pastor responsibilities. During this time, Pastor Keynes' major objective will be to attempt to find better solutions to his physical challenges. Let me just tell you a word because you're dear friends. Uh, I am on a waiting list at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, the purpose of going to the Mayo Clinic would be to take me off of the nine or ten different medications that I take and then try to find a new way of formulating those dosages so that they don't quite have all of the interaction uh, that they seem to be having presently. Um, Pastor Keynes will be asked um, to preach on Palm Sunday, Easter, and then gain permission to preach as well today to represent Covenant Presbyterian Church at the meeting of the General Assembly in June here in Chattanooga and to preach just prior to the coming of the next senior pastor. Even if the next senior pastor has not yet been called, the session will call for a congregational meeting at the end of August and will request the congregation, one, to accept Pastor Keynes' resignation as senior pastor, two, to elect him as pastor emeritus in keeping with our Book of Church Order, chapter 23, paragraph 3, and thirdly, to ask the Tennessee Valley Presbytery to approve these changes. For everything, there is a season. For everything, there is a season for change. And this is one of those seasons. Right, Steve? This is one of those seasons. And by God's grace, Linda and I are at peace during these next few months, Pastor Mullinex will fulfill the duties of senior pastor. And I ask you to do what the psalmist always does when he stops and remembers. The Lord has led us in the past. The Lord has led this congregation these many years. And we know, I know, he will continue to lead you and me into the future that lies before us. And therefore, above all else, this is what I ask, that you commit yourself, that we commit ourselves with all of our heart, soul, spirit, and mind to live lives worthy of him and of his glorious gospel. Let's pray.